Hello, friends. This is episode 99 of the Spirituality for Ordinary People podcast. My name is Matt Bruff. I'm a pastor and an author and your host for today. And today, I just love this conversation that I have on the show today for you with Steph O'Brien, or Pastor Steph. Uh, She has been on the podcast before, and uh, today I'm just super excited about this one because her new book is called Make a Move, and this is right up my alley because it's all about how we figure out maybe what God has in store for us or what we ought to do next in our lives, and it might be a small thing or a big thing, Um, but it's really about like how do we discern, how do we know where God might be leading or what door might be opening for us. And uh, in a lot of ways, this is a similar book and a similar topic to my own book uh, called Let God Send. And so Steph and I have lots in common, and uh, she's a pastor as well as me. Um, She uh, pastors in Minneapolis, which I often feel I have uh, a soft spot for. I'm not really that far away in Winnipeg, at least by prairie standards. You know, maybe a seven or eight hour drive away from Minneapolis uh, is not very far. And uh, so, yeah, I just love talking to her about all of this. Um, very much, uh, I really enjoyed her book. And in a lot of ways, uh, I kind of saw that our two books in a way go together. Like, I would love for you, obviously, to get my book, uh, Let God Send, um, but also get hers, too. And in some ways, like, my book is a little more biblical reflection on, like, where, how do we see what's going on in the Bible? And then and then how, then sort of, not necessarily applying that in our lives, but sort of like laying it on alongside our life and seeing that God has always been a God who is moving in the world and is also uh, sending us out. Uh, and and uh, and how do we allow God to do that in our lives in the same way that that happened in the biblical stories of say Abraham and uh, the Apostle Paul and things like that. So. Um, there's actually an extensive uh, leader guide that we've just developed for Let God Send for people to work on it as a group uh, over nine sessions. So it's a really great way to uh, have a group, say at a church, uh, do a Bible study or a book study on it um, and walk through it. Um, but in lots of ways, uh, that's a little more focused on, you know, how do we understand what God is up to? And, and have eyes to see that and then and then making a move into the world on the on that basis. Uh, Steph's book is a little more um, I, I hesitate to say that mine's sort of like a, a Bible focus and hers is a practical focus, but in a way that's the that's the way I would see them. Um, she actually outlines a whole bunch of processes around like creating experiments and like how do you actually uh, figure out, um, in discernment with others in community, exactly what movie you should make. Um, so yeah, I would obviously highly recommend both books. Uh, and, but I hope that this conversation uh, with Steph is something that is helpful for you and uh, and might uh, pique your interest enough to, to check out her other work as well. Uh, just if you are interested at all in Let God Send, the best way to find that is just to go to letgodsend.com and you can uh, you can find links to where you can get the book, um, but also a link back to where the study guide is available because that's only available uh, on uh, 
uh, my own online store as a PDF download. Um, but it's for wide use. So if you're in a church and you wanted like four small groups to do it, you just have to get one uh, leader guide and you can distribute it out and then the participants can just get their books. So yeah, go and check that out, letgodsend.com. Uh, but for now, just uh, have a listen to this conversation with Steph O'Brien. It's so great to have you back. We've uh, I've had you on here before talking about your other book, Stay Curious. and. Yeah. Now, you have a new book out, which we're going to talk a bunch about, um, called Make a Move, How to Stop Wavering and Make Decisions in a Disorienting World. And this just came out. Yeah, thanks for having me. I I love it. I love having these conversations. And, you know, maybe maybe as an extrovert, the reason that I write books is so I can have conversations with folks. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. I'm kind of on the bubble of introvert, extrovert. I'm more introverted, but people don't believe it. Um, Really? But yeah, but I do kind of like the idea of just sitting in my house having these conversations and not going out. Oh so yeah, that is a helpful thing. Is. We we did so. have a little book book launch party, which not everybody does, but I did that because I think that's part of it. You know, if you're in, in, if you're going to spend all this time as an extrovert sitting in a room writing something, first of all, it must be important, <laughs> right? Like you're gonna yeah. you're gonna chain yourself down to a chair to write something down because you think it, you care about it, and then second of all, like maybe because but then we can have a party, and then I can you know. <laughs> talk to my friend Matthew in, on Zoom and have a great morning, you know. I'm I'm so excited that you were able to actually have some people in per- you had some people in person for your launch party, right? You're in yes, we, you're in we Minnesota to, right now in Manitoba in Minnesota, we were yeah. talking we're in lockdown still, but Yeah, we are doing really well with our numbers here. We um you know, we it was still social distance party and still sure. masked up and everything, but we were really grateful I could use the the venue that my church has been using, which is actually a wedding venue. And since we're in the like hipster part of the city, when I say wedding venue, I mean large warehouse that's been made to look nice. And so it's right. very spread out. And so I was so grateful to have that opportunity. And any other time of year, that kind of space would have, or any other time in our world, that space would have been very expensive. Um, but to use it for, since it's part of what my church is using was such a blessing. And yes, mm-hmm. to see actual people and to, to to look each other in the eyeballs, even though we couldn't see each other's smiles was worth it. That's really great. Uh, I think this this book is, well, it's right up my alley because um, you're a church planter and I've planted a church. And these are the kinds of things that I think church planters really care about. But I was uh, like making a move, actually doing something, um, yeah. <laughs> making something happen. Uh, yeah. But as I read the book, I realized, oh my goodness, this book is like, I don't know how, like we're not supposed to say books are for everyone. <laughs> but but I feel like this is who for everybody. Said, who says they're not supposed to say that? <laughs> You're supposed to find your little niche or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, but I thought, wow, like people really need to take a look at this because um, it's kind of like I want to ask you, like my first question that I think I sent to you was, how do I figure out what to do in blank area of my life? Yeah. <laughs> um, because that's what this book is kind of about is like, how do you make decisions? How do you figure out what to do? I think we all find ourselves in situations where we're like facing some decision and sometimes they're major life things yeah. and sometimes they're not really that major or sometimes we don't even know what to do next right? Um, or don't even know the area. And you kind of cover all of that in this book um, of how to <laughs> take steps forward and then maybe even how to take steps when you don't know what to do and how that might lead to what you should do. Exactly. Um, yeah. So how, how do I figure out if you're going to help listeners really quick, how, how do we figure out what to do next? 
Well, you head to wherever books are sold and you get a copy <laughs> of Make a Move. No, I'm kidding. You know, I think um, I think that in a lot of ways, I am just so passionate about what it looks like to truly try to follow the Holy Spirit in your life. And I think that's not an easy thing and it's messy and it's it's a little confusing. And in this, and this side of the kingdom where it's still, you know, in our midst, but not fully here, I think it's, it's tough, but I want that for people because I know what it's like to, to live that life and how, you know, vibrant. And even when it's challenging, how the difference that Jesus makes to be having left the Holy spirit to us. And so I think in a lot of ways, the felt need though, that we have in, well, why do I need the Holy spirit is when we don't know what to do, (laughs) you know, when we feel unsure or we think, Maybe the decision we're making isn't the best one. And is there something else? And that felt need is really real and and valid. And I think God cares about it. And whatever questions people are asking about little things and big things in their life, I really think that God cares about that. And um, I think the conversation has for many years surrounded around this idea. And, and this is not in every tradition, but in mine, at least, uh, has really surrounded around this idea of finding God's perfect will. Um, mm-hmm. This This term has been used quite a bit. And I think that while I do think that the God of the universe has a will and a hope and has has plans for the world, um, you know, depending on exactly how you look at it theologically, I just think there's also opportunities for us as human beings that were created in God's image to also make some decisions and to do that in conjunction with God in a way of joining in, not only trying to discover something as though God's holding it back and like a treasure map and maybe you'll find it, maybe you won't. Um, I think there are, are there is a, a focus that we could have more on the way that we discern than like what exactly the will is. Um, and that the way of Jesus and the way of the spirit interacting with humans and humans trying to join in is the most important thing. And along that way, we will discover God's will for us. And sometimes that will will be, Hey kids, you're my child. Like, which one do you want to do? <laughs> like, I'm with you either way, hey, you know? And I think that that that's in some, some of us would say, I just know, actually, could you just give me an answer? Like, which one am I supposed to do? Um, but I think mo- most of us, if we really s- dig deep in our hearts, would realize that that's not the kind of life we want where it's prescriptive for us. And it's not the kind of relationship we want with God that it's directive and not relational and, and b- both, you know, conversational. And unfortunately for that that's not what we want because I don't think that's what we were made for. And I don't think that's the God that we see. And so I think when people are saying, how do I figure it out? The question is, and why I talk about making a move, the question is, what are some actions I can take? What are some things I can step towards that will help open up the spaces of discernment for me? Because while I do believe that we can sit in a prayer closet and hear from the Lord, I think there's some really practical examples, especially in the New Testament, about looking for what God's doing on the way as you have these questions and how that kind of seems good to us in the Holy spirit and one step at a time gets us to the places that, that are deepest in our hearts and where God wants us and where God's leading us. Uh, yeah. Where, give me an example from the new Testament. Like I, I have like six that come to my head. Yeah, like the, my, what, favorite, what you... my favorite one is when um, in Acts 16, when everyone's trying to figure out, where do we go next? And they've tried to go to multiple places and the spirit of Jesus, it says, it just says the spirit of Jesus didn't let them. And I'm not sure what that means. Like if like a hologram of Jesus, like was floating in the road (laughs) and like told them they couldn't go, you know, like princess Leia style. I don't know. Or Or it's like like, Gandalf, like you shall not pass. Right. Or maybe it was Gandalf. (laughs) I mean, it was probably Lord of the Rings or Star Wars. Like it was one of the two things. Most likely. Um, Most likely. But 
you know, I mean, if I think about it in my life, like there's some examples of times where I'm like, I think that might've been the spirit of Jesus, not letting me go there, (laughs) you know, but it wasn't a hologram Jesus. It was just like, why I don't understand why isn't this working, but they try to go multiple places and they can't get there. And um, of course, I'm sure they're all, you know, praying, listening, wondering, and at that time, and I think it's a good moment for us to reflect it was it was customary to take moments and time frames throughout every single day to spend some time in prayer. And so they were, I'm sure, saying praying and say, and then also saying, Well, God, is there someplace we're supposed to go? Because it wasn't Binthia, apparently. And you know, um, Paul has this dream overnight and has a vision that a man in Macedonia is asking for their help. And so he comes down and tells people, I th- I think I had this dream. And based on lots of other stories, I, it sounds like what they would discuss is, okay, well, does it seem good to us and the Holy Spirit that we should move towards Macedonia? And then they did. Um, but what they end up finding is a woman, not a man. And yeah. uh, she is, uh, doesn't seem like she's in a place where she needs a lot of help since she's a wealthy woman in the fas- fashion industry. And yet she is at a, what, a place of prayer. And they are, meet her there. And they were going there because they were... On their way, they were stopping to pray and listen, and they meet her. And, you know, long story short, she ends up coming to faith in Jesus, and so does her household, um, which is an influential one. And many people call her like a gateway to Europe because, in a lot of ways, the evangelistic movement into parts of Europe started with what happened there in that town. And, you know what, I bet there was a bunch of men from Macedonia who were helped by the, the spirit of Jesus and became Jesus followers. But that wasn't what was at the other end. You know, they, they didn't see that. That wasn't what Paul and his friends ended up experiencing. They ended up experiencing this woman. And so it's going like, well, God, why didn't you give him a dream of a woman named Lydia? That would have been a lot more clear, you know? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe if Paul came down and told all the other guys and probably some women, I was dreaming about women last night, they would have been like, well, Paul, that's not how we follow things. Like, that's probably mm. another type of dream, buddy. You know, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> like, it's a different time. But but God but God God gives us picture vision visions pictures patterns um, it's God speaks to all of us in different ways and most of the time it isn't an audible voice and a lot of times it's not a, a visual vision um, it's messier than that but look it's that was Paul look how messy it was as Paul you know so I just kind of think that the 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 how do we kind of trial trial and learn I call it our way into where God has us you know that those those maps at the end of the Bible that show Paul's journeys. It's not like God gave him that map. The map was after they wandered around figuring out what they were supposed to do. So the fact that we're like, well, where's my map? Paul got a map. It's like, no, he didn't. <laughs> the right. map was afterwards. Um, that That's that's what comes to mind. Yeah, that's one of my favorites too. And I love this uh, this idea that they're, they're already on the way. Like they're already moving. They're already going, and this uh, the spirit of Jesus not allowing them to go into a certain region. I always wondered, like that. To me, that sounds like they tried to go there. Yeah, like that doesn't sound to me like they were spending time in prayer, and then Jesus says to them, "No, no, no, don't go there." It sounds like something prevented them, and their interpretation of that is, "Ah, Jesus is is preventing us from going there, or the spirit is preventing us from going there." I think it's always kind of looking back on like interpreting what's happened. And we, and we do that all the time. Christians do that all the time. Oh, the spirit didn't want us to do that. That's actually because they tried a whole bunch of things and it didn't work out. And now we interpret that as, Oh, that, that wasn't what God wanted, but it's almost always in hindsight. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, our, one time my spiritual director said to me, you know, we, we live our life walking backwards into the future. 
Yeah. And um, that's why it feels like we're stumbling and sometimes we trip because we're not able to look forward. You know, all we can see is what just happened and behind, and, and then beyond in, further into the past. And so that that's how we move, move forward. And um, sure. that's challenging, but I think that yeah. that's, that's the reality for sure. Uh, something that I liked in the book um, was where you talked about the rules of improv yeah. Um, and, uh, and how the rules of improv might help us in, in taking steps because it can all sort of seem a little nebulous. Like it's all well and good to look at acts and say, oh, okay, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Bible guy. So I like looking at, I like looking at the biblical stories and trying to learn from it, but it's all well and good to say, well, they were moving, but they were kind of, they sort of knew, didn't they sort of know what they were supposed to be doing? Like how to how do we actually take steps? What do yeah. we do? And I like the improv section. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. Well, why not? You know, I mean, if we have a chance to talk about Tina Fey in a in a Christian book, I think <laughs> why true. not? You know, like just let's just do it. No, I think um, I, I actually talk about this quite a bit. Uh, the rule of improv. I talk about improv and how helpful it is for us in preaching because I teach preaching and at the seminary here mm. in the city. And um, you know, I think that that improv in, in lots of different areas of our life is like a muscle that helps us to know how to respond quickly, right. In improv. Um, but in improv, there are some rules that people who maybe aren't familiar as they're, you know, if you like to watch an improv comedy show, what makes that you just think, wow, these people are brilliant and they certainly are, but they're also committed to a certain rules that they're going to, to, to stay together on. Because if any one person breaks the rule, then the whole comedy show is going to gonna fall apart. <laughs> um, and so, you know, for instance, one of them is that you, you have to say yes, you know, and then you, if someone is pretending that something is, a you know, that they're holding an ice cream cone and you say, and they say, Oh, here, I'm holding an ice cream cone. And you say, Oh, I'm so glad you have that umbrella. You can't, you can't, that's saying no. Like you have to say yes. And if you want to build on that, you need to say yes. And I'm going to take that ice cream cone and put it in your face, you know, but you have to build off of what's actually happening. And so when I think about improv, um, this, this is the way I think of the way God's invited us to join into what God's doing in the world but like that we have choices of how to respond, but we can't disagree with the the main story. Like you can't say, you know, we can't go off of uh, it's, there's no script. So you're not going off the script, but going out of the storyline and saying, you know, as though, uh, as though Jesus is holding an ice cream cone and we say, that's an umbrella. Well, no, that's not it. And how do we, how do we join in that? Um, and so I t- use the term faithful improv, which, um, you know, I think N.T. Wright actually has used that term before, but the idea that we kind of know, we know the beginning of the story, we know the end of the story, and now here we are in the, you know, act five or whatever it is, and we don't have a script, but we have a chance to figure out how to to improv faithfully um, in the midst of the story towards what it is that that God might be doing and when it doesn't look like the end of the story, then we probably should say, well, we might be going out of the narrative, if that makes sense. Not off mm-hmm. script, but out of the narrative. So a good example in my mind is, you know, um, th- things like racial justice, you know, real passion area for me. If we're living a life that doesn't look like the picture that we see in Revelation of every tongue, tribe, and nation together singing in one voice and still having their distinct languages, and that that picture is beautiful and not what we see very much right now. And so if I'm going to faithfully improv towards that picture that we see in the end of the story, then anything that I do that's divisive or tearing apart people and their humanity and their image bearing is going out of the narrative, you Mm -hmm. know? So 
a lot of people might ask right now, well, I don't know. I see that's a problem. What do I do? I don't know what to do. Well, we start trying some things and if they feel like they're pointing towards that future, then that's going to be being faithful to improv. But if it's saying, I don't care, I don't want to care, then I, you know, I'd suggest in some of these areas, we're leaving the, leaving the narrative behind and not joining in God's story. And so that would be true for decisions we're trying to make in our life and what we're hoping for when it comes to big decisions, little decisions, what we want to do with our vocations and jobs and who we're going to spend our life with and who we're going to invest in. Um, all of those decisions, there's this, this picture in mind of this restoration and, and how, how is, how are these decisions going to be a part of the faithful journey towards this picture that God has for us in the end? And I think all of the decisions that we make in our life can, can be seen through that lens of being a part of this part of the redemption story right now. And someday Mm -hmm. the full restoration story. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a quote, which I, I want to read just from uh, it's later in the book, but it actually kind of summarizes, I think, a good chunk of what the book is about. And maybe we can talk a little bit about that. But it just says the next shift is from fearing the future to choosing to see your life as an adventure of trust with God. To do this, we must let go of decisions with predetermined outcomes and embrace experiments with learning outcomes. So there's lots there. But I think especially like the middle section of the book is is about uh, these experiments, mm-hmm. which you call, or um, is it missional experiments that you say, or is it like, or do you, I think you have different kinds, right? Yeah, yeah. So I just think of experimenting as a way to do what I call discernment through movement. Yeah. And uh, which gives a little bit of structure to it. So um, it can get a little loosey-goosey sounding like, okay, okay wait, so how exactly. do we the Holy Spirit? <laughs> wait, what do you mean? And I think for us, you know, Western thinkers who are appreciate linear, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. So to say, okay, well, let's borrow from the scientific method and say, because, because what is the scientific method? A bunch of people who don't know for sure something and they're trying to discover it. Oh, that sounds like trying to make a decision. I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to discover it. And so what they do is they design, they, they say, well, what's the question that we have? What are we trying to discover? You know, of course they might have a hypothesis, but they don't know. And then they say, well, what's our first experiment we should do? And does that feel like it makes sense? They do a bunch of other research and then they design the steps for that experiment because then they know like, Hey, did we follow it the way we planned? And that helps us with our learning. Then they, they try the experiment and then they review and see what they learned. And then a scientist, that's their whole life, right? Then they design another experiment and another one and another one. And, you know, whether or not people are resonate with science, science or not, that's really more of what I think life is. It's, we love to say, well, I don't have a hypothesis. I know what's going to happen. This is the plan. This is a plan. This is a strategic plan. I know how this is going to go. Um, but anyone who's lived for a little while knows that's not how life works. So if we were to approach it less as this, you know, uh, predetermined outcomes and high expectations, and this is exactly what I want this to be. And more with this openness to the idea that God's not offering us certainty but offers us assurance. God's offering us the assurance that, that God is with us, that the Holy Spirit is trying to guide us, that at times God is opening up space for us and we can step into it and God's there with us regardless of our choice. And that kind of assurance can give us courage to step into things and, and these experiments, even though we don't know what the answer is. So I kind of break down in the book 
the steps of an experiment and how, and then give some case studies and examples and talk about different types of experiments, missional, vocational, relational, and how we can create those experiments in our life. And before anybody gets too overwhelmed by that, I, I don't, it's not as cumbersome of a experience as doing a scientific experiment. It's really more of a framework to think about how you're stepping into things in your life. Um, so, you know, for instance, a, a, an experiment that a bunch of people probably have done is they were feeling led towards, you know, maybe I'm interested in this field, this vocation. And so they probably met with somebody who has done that job before. And that's an experiment. You know, you were going to know something at the end of that informational interview than you knew before. And then you're going to, you know, and so some experiments might be riskier, like taking an unpaid internship for three months um, or trying to to quit your job and put effort into going to, into to school or to some other. But there's so many experiments that can happen along the way before we make some of those bigger decision experiments. And um, those little experiments is what I'm encouraging people to do, but not just to execute them, but to to recognize that those are the spaces in which we can have our eyes open for how the Holy Spirit might be leading us. How do you feel when you're doing that? What what came up? Did, did you feel like somebody said something multiple times and that's something you're supposed to pay attention to? Did you have a dream about it? Did you feel like someone else brought something up and you thought, man, they're asking me this question, but it feels like God might be behind that. You know, that's the messy work of it, but the experiment creates the space for us to look for God's action in it that we wouldn't find in a prayer closet, for instance, because we're not looking for God's action there. We might we might still experience God or communicate with God, but discernment through movement is seeing what God's doing on the way and learning as we go. I think there's tons of permission in in that as well, because when something's framed as an experiment, um, then, and, and like in the quote, you said, it, uh, and the outcomes are learning outcomes. So it is actually not about, oh, am I going to succeed at this, at this experiment? You know, am I going to get to the outcome that I already have in mind by going through this? It's actually, you're going to learn something um, on the way. And that's going to lead to something that you might not be able to picture in advance, right? So, um, and the scientific experiments is actually a good analogy because there's so many um, breakthroughs that have actually happened in, in science that were kind of accidental. Like they were experimenting on something yeah. else and then learned some, an they entirely different thing, right? They discovered silly putty. Whoops. Right. That's awesome. Right. <laughs> exactly. So I really, I really love that. Um, I wanted to make sure that I asked you about Frozen 2. That was because uh, <laughs> you're Frozen 2 in your book. As well yeah. as like Tina Fey and... You know, yeah, why not? <laughs> well, you know, it's, not, it's, a, it's the zeitgeist or whatever. Um, yeah, <laughs> but my, my little niece just turned four and she, she, she's got, a to, to her credit, a wide range of interests. Um, she's currently jumped on the bandwagon of dinosaur obsession with my nephew, but she also, you know, really loves Frozen and really loves Moana and all of the, the things that little girls love. And um, I love that about her. And so this, you know, in Frozen 2, and not everyone maybe has watched the movie. If you have not, and you're an adult, it is it is fantastic. I want to encourage you. Um, I liked it better than the first one, just for the record. Um, oh, that's bold. It is. Wow. It is. Some 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 really bold <laughs> themes that I feel like they brought out in the second one that I thought were really yeah, cool. It's, it's true, actually, yeah. It's pretty awesome. Um, and, you know, so she, the, the, the issue, so my issue with Frozen 1, okay, is that this song that got so famous uh, that all the kids were singing 
yeah. is being belted out in this like powerful way. But I don't think it's a great message. No, like the song "Let It Go" is not great message. She is she is in a not a good spot. Okay, <laughs> so she's right. she's trying to like to run away from stuff in that yeah. in that first movie and so I've, even if someone hasn't heard hasn't watched the movie i'm sure you've heard somebody belt out the song let it go with some child or something and the song you know it's it, she's trying to run away from her from herself and her and who she is and her family and her struggles and she's having this kind of like maybe i can just say let it go and then i don't have to deal with it anymore um well if you watch the movie that doesn't work and it doesn't work in our <laughs> lives either you know um, in the second movie, the song that becomes the most popular, there's a couple of them, but one of them is into the unknown. And, um, she is having a very different experience where now she's turning her mind and her heart towards, well, there is maybe something here that I haven't explored. And instead of trying to run away from it and build my own little, you know, walls away and, and, and hide from everybody, which is what was happening in the first movie, I'm going to start to explore this and stop ignoring it and you know in the movie there's a voice that's speaking and it you know it's it's irrelevant for the metaphor but she's listening to that for the first time and she's saying i'm going to try to listen and so in that song you see her battle with i don't want to listen to it i don't want to hear it i don't just want to say where i'm at and it's fine and it's fine but it's not fine she's unsettled and so then she finally says she's going to listen to it and then she starts following it and it opens up this whole new world for her that's unknown and mm -hmm. completely unknown to her and to her family and she steps into it and you know the, the adventure continues um but watching my niece sing that song you know i feel more encouraged because i think well that's it little mabel like that's your life you're actually going into the unknown and i'm so glad that this character that you look up to uh summons the courage and steps into it and and learns along the way that maybe she shouldn't have gone on her own but she should have invited her sister to go with her because that probably wasn't as safe and you know this is some good lessons there that I think are really pertinent to this discernment and to to stepping into that like embracing the fact that it's unknown but knowing that there is a voice that's speaking to us and that might not be audible it usually isn't um and that you know it's going to be better if you bring some people with you don't don't go out there by yourself because they're going to be worried about you and also then they don't get to go on the adventure with you. And um, she kind of learns that the hard way. And that's a really great message that, that to me, that's why I love, that's why I love frozen too. And I don't think I spoiled anything. I think no, that you did not But yeah. as I was, as I was reading that section, I was, she's going to talk about uh, the Anna's song too. Right. And then, and then of course you did. So you yeah. can, you can finish it off with, with that one too, if you want to, yes, we'll just stick with yes. this. Yeah. So her, her, her decision-making song, the next right thing is, uh, you know, how do I know what to do? I'm, I'm in a tough spot. And so she starts singing about how, if you, if you have the, if you don't know what to do, then just do the next right thing. And I think there's some wisdom there for sure. Um, I would encourage people to, to go easy on themselves with the word, right. Um, yeah. because I think that that's where we are getting caught in this, um, oftentimes decision paralysis or analysis paralysis where it feels like, well, I don't know if this is right. And that more, most of the times in life, we don't know the right thing, maybe the best or the better or the next good thing or a good thing um, that we could do and that we need to let them pressure off that a little bit because that's just still a sneaky way of wanting certainty. And, right. you know, what's the next right thing? Well, that's like, well, I know one thing of certainty. I'm going to do that. And it's not that there's that there's not things that we might feel more sure about but that's still in the assurance department and not the certainty department. And I think that that's going to be 
maybe feels a little daunting, but is more freeing in the end if we can if we can accept that. Well, we can totally do the next good thing or a next good thing or the the best thing I can can do next. But that's different than finding a perfect right thing. Yeah, I really like that reflection. That's that's excellent. Um, I also do like recommend, in addition to Steph's book, um, reading the next right thing by Emily uh, Freeman. Uh, which is an excellent book and a really good podcast by the same name too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Oh, I'll tell this story because it's fun. Um, Around Frozen 2, my wife and I and my daughter uh, just before the beginning of 2020 were in Los Angeles uh, for vacation. And uh, we went to see Frozen 2 at the El Capitan Theater in Hollywood. And uh, so we booked tickets in advance and uh, and we were like a 10 10 a.m. showing, you know, on a weekday. Yeah, why not? Um, And we got there early and the theater is really cool. Um, Hollywood is not the nicest place in the world, um, but the theater was really cool. And people just found found that out. Right. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You're Sorry. like, it's not. Sorry about no. Hollywood's fantastic. Okay. It's, um, not, it's not, it's not what it's cracked up to be. And it's it turned fact. out that there was us and I think four other people in this theater that holds like <laughs> 500. <laughs> and it was amazing. It oh was so, goodness. so good. And so they great. have this organ that comes up like from, and they're playing all this music. And then Elsa and Anna, like characters come out because it's Disney and they do like this little pre-show. And it's yeah. hilarious because they do it as though like there's 500 people 500 there people. and there's like six of us. Um, and it was just so amazing. So oh, I bet, I bet the kids just thought that was the coolest thing. I would have thought that it was a cool thing as a, you know, late thirties person. I'd have been like, I'm here for this. This is fantastic. <laughs> I thought it was great. It actually was really like helpful for me as like a, a church leader as well for like, you know, I, how many times have I planned things where I'm expecting like, Oh, there's going to be like this big crowd that's coming yeah. and like six people show up and I'm all disappointed. And I'm like, look, when that happens to Disney, they just put on the show. Like it's, it's so yeah. great. They do a fantastic they just, job. I should, yeah, I should make sure it's amazing that. for those six people. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Now, with that in mind, I want to ask you as well about disillusionment, um, because I think uh, really you have this this thing that stuck out for me was the question isn't if if we will experience disillusionment, but rather what will we do with it? Yeah. Uh, And I wanted I want you to answer that question because you asked that question and you have a bit of a reflection on it. But I actually think this is a big problem um, that that we do kind of get to a point where. Um, we might get to a point where I don't want to try to figure out what to do anymore. Like I'm just, and some of that's decision fatigue, but sometimes it's just like, I'm done. I'm sick of things. Yep. Like, what do we do with that? Yeah. I, I do think this is a big problem. Um, and almost, there's a few things that happen in this book where I'm like, is this a whole nother book? But (laughs) that's kind of a writer problem. (laughs) That might be one of them. Yeah. Yeah, You know, I think in Stay Curious, I think the idea of how we make decisions and like, if if we're curious about who God is, then what do we do if we do think said God wants to join in, wants us to join in? Um, You know, I think with disillusionment, I think of it as like a spiral, like a disillusionment spiral, and we can fall into it and we will fall into it. Um, but the question that we, that I'm asking of like, what, what are you going to do with it? Um, how are you going to respond, you know, is really crucial because I'm a little bit of an armchair psychology person. I did an undergrad in psychology and, you know, what we know about our brains is that it, it's develops patterns and 
if we experience disillusionment in an area of life, um, you know, let's just, since I was using vocation, let's use vocation. You know, you get into your first job in your mid twenties and you're like, wait a second, <laughs> this is not what I thought. You know, this supervisor does not recognize my, my good effort. And my coworkers are kind of, kind of jerks. And, yeah. you know, I, that mission statement on the front of our business about how we're socially <laughs> entrepreneurs is just to make more money. And, you know, you can see how easy in, in a lot of spaces we can get disillusioned. Like, and I spent four years and a hundred thousand dollars getting trained for this um and so then what do you do with that and i don't know what that exact person should do but what i do know is that if that disillusionment leads to apathy um to quitting prematurely or or um quitting immaturely uh or to starting to badmouth your boss or <laughs> there's a lot of really unhealthy things that we do when we're disillusioned um, or, or just kind of checking out. I think that's the, maybe the most common one. Then what we are doing is creating a pattern of how we respond to disillusionment in our lives. And every pattern that we create is just harder to, to, to change. It's kind of like, you know, a lot of times psychologists will use the image of, you know, forging your way through the forest on a path. And the more you walk that path, the more it's easy to walk through, right? Once you clear away all the brush, and eventually when we do something time and time again, it's like a five lane highway. We just, our brain just chooses that. And so the truth is, is that we're going to be disillusioned about a lot of things in life. And if our go-to response becomes checking out or apathy or cynicism, and we don't think about how we can intentionally choose something else, even if those things come up, we could get angry, we could get cynical, we could get frustrated, um, we could be just confused, but if we don't think, is there some steps I can take to try to step into something different than that, then that disillusionment um, spiral will be our go-to. And maybe when it's like your first job in, in your twenties and you quit immaturely, it's not the end of the world, but man, what happens when that's your marriage or parenting or faith, or, I mean, literally everything meaningful in life is going to have a season of disillusionment. And I'm really sorry if that's when someone just found out about that, but it is what happens. And so how we respond to that disillusionment is not to be perfect. It's not to pretend it's not hard, but it's to say, I've got to try to stay in the game here because that, that bailing on it pattern will just become the, the default. Yeah. I think there's an interesting dynamic too, because I think one of the things that you point out uh, in the book is that actually taking some kind of break or pause or rest is yeah. is actually something that really helps with disillusionment. Absolutely. Um, so it's, it's, I think it can be tricky. I think that's bang on. I think that's absolutely right, but it can be tricky to say, well, uh, am I quitting or am I, am I breaking? <laughs> am I, am I, yeah. am, I, am I bailing out of this or am I, am I just having a stop for a bit? Well, and that's, that's what I, where I think that the experimenting concept comes back in to play really well because the fifth step of the experiment, the way I outline it here is you have to review and say, well, what did we learn here? Yeah. So if, you know, I mean, here we are two pastors and I'll just say, look, if you feel like your church has been a space that hasn't been safe for you and it mm -hmm. hasn't felt emotionally, spiritually safe, or you're feeling hooked by stuff that's happening, I don't know. And you say, I want to take a break. Okay. As, as a pastor, I've said to people like, maybe you need to, but say, okay, here's the time frame I'm going to do that. Here's the conversations I'm going to have along the way. And here are, and it doesn't have to be the pastor. I'm not saying that, but <clears throat> here's a conversation partner, at least one person who's going to hold me accountable to asking myself in a few weeks, what, what did I learn? What do I feel differently about? How, how do I feel about 
my relationship with Jesus now. I mean, there's, there's, there's a reality that people could end up having a much more vibrant relationship with Jesus when they're out of a a space that's not healthy. Um, But what, if you were the enemy, wouldn't you say like, yes, and never go back into any sort of space with other people who are trying to follow Jesus in any form, even if it's in a house church or anything, you know? And so the experiment could, could actually just not happen. There's no, I mean, in my mind, there's no such thing as a failed experiment, except one that you don't do. And if you don't actually look at the review and the, and what you learned, then you didn't really do the experiment. You might've started it, but you didn't really execute it. Mm -hmm. And, and so for example, that would be, what are you actually going to try to do in that time? You know, when you're taking that break from, from your work or from, from church or from, uh, from, or some space that you need to get from an unhealthy friendship or whatever it is, like back up and say, what do I actually hope for, for this time? Because human beings will just fall into deep. We kind of just fall into ruts, you know? Right. I think too, there can be like having some discernment around like what it is that I might need to break from or have a rest from, because it may be that, because I thought, I think lots of times when you're disillusioned, it kind of leaks out into all areas of life. Yeah. Um, And so, right. So it might not mean, oh, I'm taking a break from this relationship with like, uh, with my parent or like with my kids or something like that, because I'm getting aggravated every time and then that relationship and that it might actually be something else. Like it might be some other thing that you need to take a rest from. Yeah. Um, and that actually that rest suddenly starts to infuse meaning back into those uh, core relationships. Yeah. So I found that for me as well, if I'm getting stressed by, by some other thing and I'm able to offload that, it might be sometimes like a committee that I'm on or something like that. And I realize, yeah, this is really affecting how I view everything else. And if I'm able to step back from that committee, even if it's saying like, I need three months off from this, I'm, I'll be able to come back and help out. Um, but I need, I need a few months off. And suddenly it's like a month later, things have started to kind of fall back into place a little bit, almost magically. Right. So some of that is being overloaded, but I think some of that is just that disillusionment kind of leaks. And, and I think that's really dangerous. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like a weed and it spreads in it doesn't know any boundaries and man this might be another book right yeah it might be (laughs) i was talking to another a person about this yesterday and i said you know how do you know when you're like getting burned out or the disillusionment and the stress is is carrying over it's like things like you come home on a friday and your partner's like hey i invited your best friends over for dinner and you're like no i can't do another thing (laughs) it's like whoa you got to check out what's going on there like when you're when seeing your close friends is too much that's another thing like there's just maybe there's other stuff going on. And then I don't mean that to be a, a shame thing at all, but to say like, let's, that's an interesting diagnostic to something, something might be happening there that we need to get to the bottom of. And, um, and absolutely, you know, it, if you're disillusioned in your work, don't think that's not going to affect your marriage. If you're disillusioned with your parenting, don't think that's not going to affect your work. You know, it's, it, it, it does. We're human beings that don't compartmentalize is even when we want to want to, it doesn't work that way. Right. Right. And and I think that might be an important message as well for people who do take a look at your book and start to, I, it's, it's really great. But I think when someone starts to think about, I'm going to design an experiment, they mm-hmm. might also need to pay attention to. And so, so what do I need to not do? Like, if you already yeah. have an overloaded life, don't design like three more things to work on in the next month without totally. paying attention to the other side of that. Right. And and you have yeah. some stuff about that in the book as well, which is really uh, good. You know, for instance, the missional experiments, you know, I, I just use using that term to mean, you know, things that feel really purposeful. And I think a lot of times in life, 
you know, our job does, and, you know, our family is purposeful, but there's something else. What is that thing that, that get that, that, you know, thing that feels like it really bothers you in the world and you want to be mm-hmm. about that. And the, the lack of creating space for some of that in our life or being creative about how it can fit into the spaces we have, um, causes so much, you know, slacktivism and just not, yeah. not taking action in different areas. And, one of the, one of the, my favorite case studies, I made up these case studies in the book and most of them are not real. Like they're maybe based on a couple different stories, but I didn't want anybody to think I was like secretly writing about them. But one of the stories that I have in there in the missional experiments is around a, a dad who feels like he's gotten everything he ever wanted. You know, he's got his beautiful kids and his wife and his good job. Um, but it, it, it just feels like, well, I always cared about these other things. And when I was younger, I had this passion and he ends up design designing an experiment around his girls his little girl's soccer team and whether or not they can raise money together for clean water because he's always been passionate about that in the past and how there's a water crisis in the world and getting all these little girls involved and whether or not they could be a part of that instead of how can I do this after soccer practice since I said yes to being the assistant coach or whatever I made up um but I just think that those are the kinds of things like that's really realistic and then if if you're a dad and you tried to find time in your life for that. And you ended up integrating it with what you were already doing. And it involved your daughter. Like, did you see how that can become a better story than just, I wish I had time to do the things I'm passionate about. (laughs) And then instead of that, like your little girl gets to see, even if it, even if it doesn't go how you think, like gets to see you try to say, Hey, we could infuse purpose into something that we're doing. That's fun, but also could be purposeful. And that that's going to have a deeper influence on, on your daughter's life than if you were to show her how great you can find time to be a missional person in these areas, you know, with your cape on your back, you know, I just think there's just some, there's more creativity that can help us in that if we're willing to to be open to it. Yeah, that's really great. Um, Something that's super helpful and then, and then we'll close up is just at the very end of the book. uh, This is actually worth the price of the book is just the (laughs) the toolbox at the back, the appendix. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So can you just let people know what that is? And then also maybe let people know where they can find you and more information and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, Yeah. So I, in throughout the book, as I'm doing these case studies and things, you know, my brain really does work with kind of diagnostics and tools. And like, I think very, um, image based and things too. So I just, I, I realized along the way that there's some tools that I use. Um, I don't think I wrote anything new. I mean, these are tools that I've actually used myself or with other people and just put them into the appendix in what I'm calling like the decision-making toolkit toolbox. And, um, it's not to take the Holy spirit out of it by any stretch or anything like that. It's to say that sometimes when we take a tool like that and we infuse it into the way we're thinking, it can help us come down from being really confused or get us out of some brain fog, um, help us see that, for instance, one of them is about risk tolerance and how risky is this. And sometimes we get ourselves into a spot where we really think, well, this is really risky. And then we realize it's really not actually, (laughs) or, Hey, this isn't that big of a decision. And then we realize actually there's a lot of risk here, but I just didn't think about it through like a framework. And so for the people whose brains work well in those types of frameworks, which isn't everybody, um, that's why I wrote those things down so that there could be a way to just kind of say, okay, what tool might be helpful for this? Um, one of them's a visualization tool and one of them's, you know, a feedback tool. And I just think that's the kind of stuff that could help us to, to break down the, you know, they say, what's that, what's that line? How do you eat an elephant? Like one bite at a time or something. Yeah. I don't think people should eat elephants, but that's, the, that's the thing. 
Um, and I think that that's it. Some decisions, some of them are so big that it feels like an elephant. And I think the toolkit can help help us take bite-sized chunks. Out yeah, of that's it. really good. And then if people so, want to yeah. find you online and obviously the book, but also all the other things that you do, because you're, you're, yeah. there's all kinds of other stuff that you're doing too. Yeah, What's the best place for people to go? Going on? Um, I'm most active on Instagram and my handle is just pastor stuff and, uh, and similar on Facebook and Twitter. And then my website is pastorstuff.com and that links kind of to all the other things that I'm doing for the most part. Um, and yeah, there's, I'm an entrepreneur at heart, so I'm always starting new things and doing new things. And I think for the most part, my church is very grateful for that because then they don't have to be the only place I'm starting new things. Um, so that's good. <laughs> but we do we do also start a lot of great things. So if you're interested in my church, it's millcitychurch.com and can see some of the fun things that we're doing there in Minneapolis. And uh, yeah, that's probably the best places to find me. Great. Can you Have you met other pastors named Steph? That's a great question. I actually had to ask if a pastor Steph in Boston would let me have the Instagram handle that she was not using. Really? Like I looked it up and she had posted a few pictures of some like bunny rabbits or something and then not used it for like two years. And then this is a true story. And I, oh, wow. I, I can tell you, I, so I Googled pastor Stephanie and her, I think her name was on there and then Boston and found her church. And I emailed her and sheepishly was like, Hi, this is years ago now. Hi, you know, if you're going to use this Instagram handle, like more power to you, but I'm hoping to write this book called Stay Curious. And I, it would be really helpful if I could have my handle, you know, that I had on, I think, I think I had it on um, Twitter, but I didn't have it there. I don't know. Anyway, she said yes. And she was really sweet about it. And, um, but yeah, I have met a few other pastor steps and, you know, uh, I, we can, we can add little, you know, anendums onto the pastor stuff. But if you see anybody with <laughs> pastor stuff, one, two, three, or pastor stuff, whatever, that's not me. It's just pastor stuff. <laughs> just pastor stuff. I, I was going to ask, like, are they jealous of you? But now that they, you, I've heard that story, I that's like, oh, I want, I want that handle. That's like, yeah, you are I, the pastor stuff. There is no I other, but pastor stuff, except for the one in Boston, the one in, no. <laughs> right. there, there are more, there are more for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for this. I really appreciated the conversation. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found that conversation helpful. Uh, I know I just loved talking to Steph again. And um, I think if you're interested in her work, go and check it out for sure. I hope also you'll check out Let God Send by going to letgodsend.com. Um, my own book, you can find links there to where to buy it, um, but also a link to the store where you can get the leader guide uh, for... Uh, if you're interested in leading a group through uh, Let God Send over eight or nine sessions. Um, my wife and I put tons of work. My wife was the co-author on the leader guide. We put tons of work into that guide at, over the last number of months. And uh, we think it's it's going to really help a bunch of people. So hope you'll go and check that out. And if you do, or if you have questions, um, or if you just want to let us know, hey, we're using it or we're interested, send me an email. Um, I'd love to hear from you. So just send an email to matt at mattbruff.com. I always love hearing from uh, readers or listeners, or just if you're part of my congregation, even and they're listening into this and uh, have read through the book. Um, yeah, feel free to send me an email and let me know how you liked it. Or if you've got questions, uh, that would be great. So again, thanks for listening today and take care.